are continuing our series in the book of Amos this morning, and the series is called The Cry for Justice, and I think that what this book has been doing is it's been exposing in us this longing that we see in our society, but also that we see in our own hearts for what's wrong in the world to be made right again. And I think that this longing was illustrated for me this morning as I was listening to this song. Actually, Isaac had recommended this song to me. And I was listening to this song by uh, a guy named Ben Rector. And the song's called Make Something Beautiful. And he exposes this longing for justice as he's just talking about the way that he sees the world. And he says, because it feels like the world has gone crazy, spinning faster and cheaper than ever before. And it feels like there's nobody giving a damn that it's getting worse. And and that just resonated with me. I thought, I think that's how we feel. It's like no one cares enough that the world around us seems to just keep getting worse. And things are spiraling spiraling out of control. And we're wondering, who is going to fix this mess? Who has the perspective to fix this mess? Who has the power to fix this mess? And what Amos has been saying over and over again in this book is that there is one person who does. And I think in this passage, more clearly than any other, what he's going to say to us is that God is the perfect judge. He's the judge that we're longing for. He's the champion who's going to make it all right. And he gives us three reasons in this passage that we can trust God as the perfect judge. And the first one is the quality of God's anger. His anger is different than our anger. Amos chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 to start. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, He was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord God relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. So it's a commonly held belief that God being angry is incompatible with the love of God. And this passage is in the Bible to combat that lie. This passage is in the Bible to show us that anger is not only not incompatible with the love of God, but in order for God to be loving, he has to be angry about injustice and sin. It's the other side of the coin of the love of God. And so what we have here is Amos is having a dream 
a prophetic dream where he's understanding God's anger toward the sin of Israel. And it's really a three-part dream. We get two parts in this passage. In the first part of the dream, he sees these locusts, looks like bugs that eat things, devour crops. But this is a particularly devastating judgment from God because what Amos describes here is something that everybody in that day would have understood. And that's that everyone who was a farmer would plant two rounds of crops. And that's because the first round of crops was for the king. So he describes the king's mowings here. So what would happen is you would plant the first round of crops, and then the king would come through and he would take all of your crops from the first round. It would be like your tax. And then you would, as a farmer, rush to get the second round of crops in, which would be your livelihood. It would feed your family. It would take care of your bills. And so what's happening here is the first round of crops have been planted. The king has come through, taken his share. The people have planted their second round of crops. They're just starting to sprout up. And Amos sees the locusts coming in. And what he's thinking is, everybody is going to die if God does this. And then we see part two of the dream. It's not just the the plague of locusts that's going to happen, but we also see that there's a particularly devastating fire that Amos is seeing in his dream. And it's particularly devastating because we see that this fire is not just engulfing the land, but it's engulfing the great deep. And the great deep signifies the deepest water in the land of Israel. So this fire is so hot and so big and so all-consuming that it is burning the water. If fire is burning the water, it is going to burn everything. And in the dream, Amos sees this devastation. He sees the anger of God at sin and injustice. And Amos says a couple things. Please cease. Please stop. Please relent. Please don't go through with this. And then he says, please forgive. Like, we we are a sinful people. We've done what is wrong, but please forgive us. And, And he appeals to Jacob, or Israel's smallness. Now, this is particularly remarkable for Amos to be doing this because Amos was of the people of Judah, and he's defending the people of Israel who split off from the people of Judah, and most people in Judah hated the Israelites. And so he's standing up for the people that his people hate. And he's appealing to God and he's saying, please forgive, please cease. They're so small. Not they're not sinful, but they're weak. They can't handle this type of judgment. And it's at this place 
that we see the quality of God's anger. Because what we see is that God's anger is fierce. He hates sin. It burns against injustice. But we see that God is not controlled by his anger. He's humble. He's gentle in heart. Kind of imagine like a dad who's really angry at one of his kids. And he's beginning to threaten grounding or spanking, some kind of punishment. And the other kids can see that dad is starting to boil, but they understand that the anger is justified. And you imagine one of the other kids going and laying their hand on the dad's arm and saying, Dad, I know that your anger is justified, but please forgive my brother. Please don't go through with this punishment. He's just a little kid. He doesn't understand what he's doing. And we understand in that scenario that it doesn't diminish the justified anger of the dad to relent in that moment. But what it shows is that that dad is under control. That he's not just angry, but he's also got a heart of love. And what we see here is God backing off from his punishment at the request of a lowly shepherd because although God is angry, he's not controlled by his anger. He's controlled by his love. If you came to church this morning believing that God is angry with you because of your sin, you are right. He hates your sin. He hates how your sin hurts you and hurts the people around you. And he hates it with a perfect hatred. But you have to see this, that God is not like you. He's not capricious. He's not flying off the handle. He's not just angry. But God is simultaneously angry and not controlled by his anger, but controlled by his love. And so what he wants to offer you this morning is something unbelievable that we talk about almost every week at Salt City. It's grace. It's favor that you don't deserve. And what I first want you to understand is the bad news. God is angry with your sin so that you'll be set up for the good news and that's that God's heart for you is love. He doesn't want you to be hurt by your sin or to hurt other people with your sin and injustice anymore. So God is the perfect judge because of the quality of his anger. He's also the perfect judge because of the precision of his judgment. God is not flying off the handle. He's not capricious. Instead, he is very precise in the way that he judges the world. And we see that in part three of Amos's dream. 
verses 7 through 9 of chapter 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Okay, so both fire and locusts are imprecise judgments. What I mean by imprecise judgments is they not only destroy those who have done wrong, they also destroy everyone else. So if you send fire or locusts, you're going to hit the target, but there's also going to be a lot of collateral damage. And Amos has asked God to relent from that type of anger, which would be justified. And he says, please don't judge us that way. And God has relented from sort of a rage-filled, angry judgment of the people of Israel. And he's traded that type of judgment in for a very precise type of judgment. And the instrument that God chooses to use to illustrate the type of judgment that he's going to bring against the people of Israel for their sexual immorality, for their oppression of the poor, for all types of injustice and idolatry and self-indulgence is a plumb line. Now, not many of us are familiar with a plumb line, but a plumb line would be like an ancient level. So imagine a string with a weight on the bottom of it that's brought to a point at the end. And what you would do with a plumb line is you would hang it in the middle of a board or on a pillar to make sure that that board or that pillar was completely vertically straight. It was used to judge the structural integrity of a building. And you would go board by board, pillar by pillar, through the building to make sure that the building would not collapse. And Amos is saying that's the type of judgment that God is going to bring on the house of Israel. He's not going to use locusts. He's not going to use fire. He's going to use a precise instrument of measurement. Because if just one board is crooked, if one pillar is crooked, the whole building is compromised. And there's this image throughout the Old Testament that the people of God are known as the building of God, his house, the place where his glory dwells. And so he's saying, I want my people to be a straight people. I want my people to be a people of integrity. And so I am going to take the time to go through this group of people and make sure that each person is walking in line with my measure of integrity, which is illustrated by a plumb line, which is universally understood as the law of God exhibited in the Ten Commandments. 
And so God is going through his people and he is judging them by his standard. I'm by no means a construction expert, but I have done a few construction projects. And my dad has always been, well, I've actually been his right-hand man. He's helped me, but really I'm helping him at the end of the day because he knows way more than I do about it. But every time we've done a construction project that involves using wood, we go to Menards, we go to Lowe's, and you go to the rack where the wood is held. And one of the things that he taught me to do whenever you're picking out boards is you want to pull each board out and you want to hold it with one end on the ground and, and one end toward your eye. And you want to look down that board to make sure that every single board that you use is straight. Because if you get one really crooked board, it's going to compromise the entire wall that you're building. It won't have the structural integrity that it needs to have. And so God, as he's relenting from his anger, as he looks at the people of Israel, he is walking through the community and he is measuring each person's integrity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is walking in our midst this morning, and he is measuring our integrity. We can hide from each other. We cannot hide from God. He has a plumb line on each of us this morning, and he knows where we're crooked. And he knows where we're walking away from him. And he knows where our heart is not in line with his will. And what he wants to do this morning is he wants to gently point that out. And he wants to use the nation of Israel who was punished for their lack of integrity, who was brought into exile for their lack of integrity, who was judged harshly for their lack of integrity. He wants them to be an example for us so that we will not harden our hearts, but we will live lives of repentance. Is there something in your life that you are holding on to? A sinful attitude a pattern of sinful behavior, self-indulgence, sexual immorality, a lack of compassion, a lack of love, bitterness, an acceptable sin, something that you can hide from the eyes of people, but you can't hide from the eyes of God. He's not capricious, but he is the judge. And his judgment is never off. And so today is not the day to excuse our sin. Today is the day to turn away from our sin and back to the living God with integrity. To say, I was wrong. Please forgive. Please cease. Please give me compassion and mercy. So we see that God is the perfect judge, not only because of the quality of his anger and the precision of his judgment, 
But thirdly, we see that he is the perfect judge because of the character of God's servant. And we get this interaction between kind of a professional priest named Amaziah and an amateur prophet by the name of Amos who wrote the book. Verses 10 through 17 say this. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Okay, so... Amaziah has been hearing what Amos has been saying. And it's no coincidence that this is his response right after Amos had just said, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Jeroboam was the king in Israel. Amaziah was sort of a right-hand man, a priest in the city of Bethel. So what had happened is that Judah and Israel had been divided up, and we know the capital city of Judah. It's Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was a well-known city where God's presence dwelt. It was a place that was famous and synonymous with the kingdom of God, and so when the kingdom split, the northern kingdom of Israel had to come up with its own religious capital city, and they came up with this place called Bethel. And Bethel was kind of a rival to Jerusalem, and there was an argument going on as to which city was the more holy place. And so Amaziah is a priest in Bethel. And Bethel had this wonderful seminary program set up. And if you wanted to be a prophet or a priest, you would go through this seminary program, you would get the correct credentials, and once you got the correct credentials, then you were authorized to speak on behalf of God. And if you didn't have the credentials, then no one was supposed to listen to you. So Amaziah catches word of this guy, this shepherd and farmer who says that he's speaking up on behalf of God. And Amaziah comes to Amos and he's like, you don't have the credentials to speak up on behalf of God. And he's very patronizing. In verse 12, he said, Oh seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy.
prophesy there. In other words, you have no right to be speaking against the people of Israel. We have the religious pedigree to speak against Israel if that's what God tells us to do. You don't have the religious pedigree to do that. And Amos has a very interesting response to this accusation. In verse 14, it says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. In other words, Amos doesn't say, look at my credentials. No, I I have gone through the proper training, and because of all of these credentials, I am authorized to speak on behalf of God. But instead of giving credentials, Amos gives anti-credentials. He comes in and he says, I wasn't a prophet. There's no prophets in my family. Never went to school for it. And honestly, I was just farming and was pretty content to do that. What is Amos demonstrating at this point? That he understands something profound that Amaziah doesn't understand. He understands that one of the credentials in the sight of God to speak on, the behalf, on behalf of God is that your pride has been thrown out the window and that you have been humbled. And one of the evidences of humility in the life of a follower of God is that you have embraced your anti-credentials. You understand that your past no matter how awful it is or how unimpressive it is, qualifies you to speak on behalf of God because God speaks through empty vessels, not people that are full of pride. And so he gives his anti-credentials to Amaziah, and then he says something really profound. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. See, what he's saying to Amaziah is, you got your credentials from a seminary in Bethel. You got your credentials from an institution. You got your credentials from the man. I got my credentials from God. You see, God tapped me on the shoulder when I was out shepherding the flock, when I was out farming. I didn't choose to be a spokesman for God. God showed up to me and said, you will be my spokesman. And so you notice at this point, Amos isn't arguing with Amaziah, God is arguing with Amaziah. He says, hear the word of the Lord. In other words, Amaziah, you can't see that I am a spokesman on behalf of God because you are blind to the purpose of God. You think that you're a prophet. You think that you're a priest. You think that you see things clearly. You can see 
nothing. So I want you to hear from God through me. And here's what's going to happen, because you can't see injustice, and you can't see oppression, and you can't see sexual immorality, and you can't see that the whole institution that you are a part of is total crap, because you don't know God. You're just living in this place of trying to impress the people around you, and because of that, you are not a spokesman for God. And this is what God has to say to you. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from the land. What gives Amos the courage to say something like that to the most powerful people in his day? It's that he has been so emptied of himself that all that he is filled with is courage that comes from the living God himself. You see, God doesn't see people the way that we see people. God sees directly into the heart. And some of you feel disqualified from being used by God because your past is filled with anti-credentials. You look at your life and you're like, look, I've got all this sin. I don't come from the right background. I was abused. I've been mistreated. I'm filled with shame. How could God ever use somebody like me if I was just cool and popular and smart then I could be used by God. And what Amos wants us to see, what God wants us to see, is that he wants to use us because we have nothing to offer to him. He wants to fill that empty place in our lives with courage. He sees your heart he also wants to speak to those of us who are touting around our credentials, our Bible knowledge, our Awana acumen from the past, our youth group pedigree, our Christian family, our seminary education. And he wants to say to us, I don't care about your credentials. You cannot earn my favor because my favor is given as a gift through grace. Guys, I remember when I was in college, I, I felt like the biggest loser. You know, I got a 2.7 grade point average when I was in high school. I couldn't find, I, I looked at my peers, I couldn't find motivation to work hard in school. And so I didn't get into the first couple schools that I wanted to go to. So I ended up going to Ball State University, just north of Indianapolis. And I remember sitting there as like a sophomore in college and just being like, how could God possibly use somebody like me? How could he use my life? I look at all these people around me and they seem to know where they're going with their life and they seem 
who have been successful in the past and are on the path towards success in the future. And, and it was early in college that I began to understand this idea of grace. I began to really grasp it at the level of my heart. And I began to see that my lack of credentials in the past were perfect. That God wanted to use somebody as messed up and as sinful and as broken as me. And every time I get up here, right before I come up, I, I always quote to myself from 1 Corinthians 12 where it says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then the Apostle Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Guys, every week that I speak, I am a living example of God using somebody who has been disqualified from being used in a worldly sense. Guys, I don't like public speaking. I'm terrified of it. And I think that that's why God uses me to do it. It's a joke. It's like I am just a big like comedy act for God. And, and I don't want you to think, man, I could never do what Drew does. What I want you to think each time I get up here is, if God can use Drew, he can use anybody. If God can use him, he can use anybody. Guys, God chooses the weak things in the world to shame the strong. God does not judge by outward appearance. God sees your heart. And so if you're sitting on the sidelines because you feel disqualified because of some sin in your past, please jump in the game and let your life be a story of grace. Do you know who the ultimate person with no credentials is? It's not Amos. It's not me. It's Jesus. Do you know that Jesus came from heaven to earth and became a man with no credentials? He grew up in a small town. He was a carpenter's son. People couldn't believe that God was using him. People thought that his mom had cheated on his dad. Do you know why he did that? He did that to show us that God can use anybody. He became like us in every single way, was tempted in every way that we are, became a person of no reputation to show us that God sees and God knows. And then Jesus used his anti-credentials to go to the cross, and he was accused of being a blasphemer. You see, he became so ordinary that it was not obvious that he was the Son of God to many people. And so he was killed in our place for our sin on the cross. And God's judgment of him was that he was perfect and that he was righteous 
and that he had done nothing wrong, where the world's judgment of him is that he had no right to live. And Jesus did that for us to take away the judgment of God that was meant for us so that we could receive grace. And so the offer today is an offer to repent. It's an offer to say, I turn away from the way that I normally think about life. I understand that I can't earn God's favor, and that is the best news ever. I understand that I can come to God just as I am, and I can say, I have nothing to offer you, and God will say, perfect, I can use you. Would you come? Would you not let your pride get in the way or your past get in your way? And with me, come to Jesus and let him use us to flip the world upside down. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you can use somebody like me. Thank you that you can use a church full of people like us. Thank you that unlike corporate America or the Marines, that you don't take the best, you take the worst. That you take ordinary people and you flip the world upside down. God, would you help us to not try to be impressive for you or for others, but to come to you in our weakness and in our pain and in our grief and in our sadness and to say, God, would you use me? Would you change me? Would you love me? Please forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.